0: Welcome to The Weekly Skeptic, episode 48. I'm Nick Dixon, here with Tobias Young. That's not his real name. And coming up, Costa Coffee goes full trans. Andrew Neil goes full turf. And Candice Owens goes full top G. Plus, of course, Peak Woke. But Toby, I thought we'd start with Costa Coffee. Seems to be a big story. They've done this cartoon of essentially a a, a person who's had their breast removed in a double mastectomy. All a bit disturbing. Originally, it was done for... Brighton Pride, I believe, which is not really surprising. But now they've released it as a sort of general, what is it, a billboard? And obviously people are kicking off because it's disturbing and mental. I mean, have I got that right?
1: Well, as I understand it, it's on the side of a Costa van. I don't know whether it's more than one van. Maybe it was just done for um, Brighton Pride. But um, yeah, they've definitely used a cartoon image of, I suppose, what you'd call a trans man um, who has had um, a double mastectomy, as you say. And um, the, the, the way that's depicted is um, it looks like, you know, a bloke, um, uh, but you can tell there are these two stitches where they're the underneath of their breasts are. And I, I think that's a kind of, you know, that's that's code for this person is a biological woman who has a um, uh, removed her breast tissue. Um, and, uh, obviously Costa did it in order to signal to the woke community that they're really right on and cool. Um, and it's prompted outrage quite understandably because, um, why should healthy young women, some of them, not even adults be encouraged by a coffee company to surgically remove their perfectly healthy breasts. And, um, Costa is owned by Coca-Cola, so I'm hoping that uh, not only will there be a Costa boycott in the UK, but it'll cross the Atlantic, and the same people who boycotted Bud Light um, will, for pretty much the same reason, start boycotting Coca-Cola products. Uh, Maybe that's too much to hope for. I've already, in my small way, joined the boycott, so I was due to meet someone for coffee in Costa um, tomorrow uh, on the Askew Road in... um, uh, shepherd's bush but I've, I've now changed the location to gales um so uh yeah i, I never go i mean i don't like costa anyway uh, it was just the only location i could think of but i've now checked and there is a gales nearby i'd known that i would have picked gales originally coffee there's a hell of a lot better plus gales is part owned by luke johnson of course who was one of the directors of both the free speech union and skeptics limited so um gales all the way but uh yeah Absolutely disgusting behavior by Costa, um and I really hope it backfires in a major way,
0: yeah, absolutely. You can choose gales and support our mate Luke instead. It's a tricky one for me to boycott because I've never been to Costa, so the boycott might not have the full <laughs> weight, Toby of someone who'd actually been there um maybe I've been I wanted what with someone standing there pick, buying something on the way past that's possible. I really don't know because I'm not one of these coffee I'm not a coffee drinker. I've never, I drank one one cup of coffee in my life ever, didn't like it, and I'm not a person who hangs around in cafes, obviously, I'm, I'm not a social person, I don't do things that humans do, like go to a cafe to grab a coffee, I don't grab anything, Toby, I don't grab things, <laughs> I'm an Englishman, so when did that start, by the way, I'm just grabbing a coffee, it's like, what, what are you, in, in friends, are you, Who are you, Ross Geller? We didn't used to say that, (laughs) did we? There's no English person when I grew up said one. We didn't have coffees. We didn't have these like modern coffees. And you certainly didn't grab one. You had a cup of tea. You went. You you didn't. You you said you want to go for a cup of tea. You didn't grab anything. So certainly not coffee.
1: Yeah. No. You're right. And and actually, it's a it's sort of an inappropriate verb, isn't it? Because if you grabbed a cup of kind of steaming hot coffee, chances are you're going to spill some of that coffee on your hand so yeah grabbing uh, is not what you should do with a hot cup of coffee is it
0: i, I thought you meant in the post me tour like me too like you know trump like oh, no. you could you, can do, you can do anything you can grab them by the coffee like you know like you're not i'd say you're not allowed to grab <laughs> things in the post me too era really are you
1: yeah i yeah you can imagine trump i i, I never grabbed like you do better trump than me but yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> i can't really do Trump. i can occasionally do him when I said I had the China virus. I'm just coming back from the China virus, by the way, guys. The China virus. And um, (laughs) I've just realized, Toby, just live in the podcast, we should have covered um, Kevin Spacey. That should be a a topic.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I suppose we have segue to talking about Me Too. The word grab has kind of sent us off down a kind of Me Too rabbit hole. So maybe we should do Kevin Spacey now. Um, You know, I guess the question about Kevin Spacey is, will he now be rehabilitated in hollywood now that he's i think been found innocent like three times possibly four um but yeah it's absurd really that the crown prosecution service decided to prosecute this case i mean the evidence clearly doesn't stack up and the jury took i think something like well less than a day to acquit him um and he met with the jury afterwards and you know signed autographs and shook their hands and posed for selfies. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've always thought the case against Kevin, Kevin Spacey was was pretty flimsy. Um, and um, so it's proved to be um huge waste of taxpayers' money to try and prosecute him for this.
0: Yeah, and, and exactly. The question is, will he be rehabilitated? It doesn't feel like that, does it? It's, it's, this, it's this thing now, the punishment, the process is the punishment, and it's, it's guilty until proven innocent. And then even if you're proven innocent, can you even come back I had sort of. I think I was ahead of this whole because I would already rewatched House of Cards, which no one really talks about anymore. It was massive when it came out. I mean, people talk about it a little bit, but I, but I rewatched it the whole well, the whole thing until the rubbish series towards the end. But um, st- stood up very well. And I rewatched uh, The Usual Suspects, and I, I watched Margin Call again the other night. So I'm just sort of. I seem to be part of the movement to bring spacey back because if he okay. this was before he was proved innocent, I just obviously had a hunch, but now that he is surely we can all start watching these films again. But will he get get any new
1: roles? Is he like, in your, in your world, is he like the gay Andrew Tate? Um, top G for gay. <laughs> <laughs> top gay, Kevin Spacey.
0: I think like a lot of people, I, I think I always thought Ke- he did seem a bit sleazy. And that probably influenced people a lot. When they found out that, you know, he had these accusations, they probably thought, yeah, well, it's Spacey. Because all his roles were sort of like a sort of slightly sleazy guy who, you know... It was not it was not much of a leap, was it, from any Kevin Spacey role? Do you think that influenced people?
1: Maybe, Um, maybe. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's odd, isn't it? Um, You know, people seem very much willing to believe the best of Hugh Edwards um, and, you know, completely forgive him for whatever it is he's being accused of because he didn't break the law um and um but that the same chorus of kind of metropolitan liberals are not coming out and saying now leave leave kevin alone he didn't break the law he's been found innocent of these various crimes he's been accused of um but they don't seem to be willing to extend the same clemency to kevin spacey i'm not sure why it's maybe it's because you know he isn't he's not employed by the BBC but yeah, I, I've, I've, um, I hope that this, this, this draws a line under the, you know, the ridiculous idea that you should always believe the accusers and um, disregard the presumption of innocence in these cases. Um, yeah,
0: sorry, your internet wasn't perfect there, so I was slightly struggling to follow your thread because, of course, Toby's been banished to the shed uh, following following his uh, his own. It's scandal um <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it happened um but yeah it, yeah it, people wanted to believe you edwards well certainly the establishment did but they didn't rally behind kevin spacey you never quite know when they're going to rally behind someone or just throw someone under the bus immediately he was just at that time where every man was being thrown under the bus and um i, I rewatched watched Gary, glenn ross as well by the way another classic one and that's when kevin spacey goes go to lunch Go at all lunch. Will you go at all lunch? Have you ever seen Glen Gary Glenn Ross? Yeah, very good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. opening monologue from Adam Baldwin. No. Alec
0: Baldwin.
1: Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Adam Baldwin's his less successful younger brother, right? Uh, yeah, I suppose Adam ba- Alec Baldwin is kind of There's fallen so many- from grace slightly as well, yeah.
0: All right. But a slight internet issue during the Kevin Spacey banter. I couldn't really hear Toby, so I couldn't get my banter to the level that our listeners demand So he's moved into the normal house because he's been exiled to the shed famously.
1: But um, anyway. Nick, I I have arranged for a Starlink satellite engineer to visit my house um, uh, to hopefully install a Starlink satellite on the roof of my house. And then we're going to run a wire down to my shed. So that should solve all our problems.
0: Wow. So Elon Musk is sorting out Ukraine and then your shed... In that order, presumably. I don't know. Obviously, prioritizing your shed. I mean, it's quite funny that you you
1: sort of- Top of his priority list.
0: (laughs) It's quite funny that Starlink could save our podcast and not just Ukraine in the war. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, hopefully, we'll be all right now. I don't know. We're just going to go with this. And um, so Kevin Spacey, yeah, we should have covered that properly. But basically, let's see if he comes back. And um, back on this Costa Coffee thing, then, did you see that Doc Martens also put out a, a strange- they did a, a Doc Martin that had a, a, a double mastectomy person on the shoe as well, and it was quite disturbing, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I saw that. Um, and you, you think that might be um, quite dangerous from Doc Martin's point of view, because isn't aren't Doc Martins like the lesbian shoe? And not all <laughs> lesbians are on board with this cutting off your breast thing. I mean, I would have thought that they risk antagonizing, you know, a core part core of demographic. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I hadn't even thought of that. I'd never thought of that, but you're right. They are, they do seem to be the lesbian shoe. If that's still the case, lesbians need to let us know if that's still the case. But, um, while I thought of it, I immediately thought of punk, you know, when you see Dot Martins, you sort of think, and I started to think maybe this is kind of like punk, a sort of, uh, a sort of, oh, this is going to be a constant problem, isn't it? If you're in the lounge, you're going to be constantly telling members of your family to go away. Um, I started to think, is it like punk? You know, we had the punk was sort of just a, actually a short-lived fashion movement. I started thinking, is this trans stuff just a sort of punk fashion movement for kids? Even though, with the caveat that it's incredibly dangerous and they're mutilating young people, but that's now become fashionable. When I just when I saw it on that dot dot mine, I just suddenly thought, this is terrible because it's become fashionable a way to, for kids to be like, hey, yeah, look at my. Dot Martin with a trans person on, but then it's like, and this is actually really hurting children. You know what I mean? So it's like a fashion movement that's mutilating children.
1: I know. Well, and well, that that's the really worrying thing, um, uh, which is the element of social contagion involved in, you know, children wanting to mutilate themselves, sterilize themselves, embark on these irreversible medical pathways. Um, yeah, it's become trendy. It's like having a tattoo times 10. You know, um, It's a passing fad and they're going to mutilate themselves um, because they'll be swept up by this particular fad. And then when the winds of fashion change, they'll be sterile. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really dangerous and um, really irresponsible of these various companies to be kind of jumping on this particular bandwagon in order to kind of earn cool points.
0: Yeah, and in terms of Costa, they were incredibly weak about it. Uh, James S. who's been on my podcast the current thing, said, Dear Costa Coffee, could you kindly explain why you were glorifying irreversible surgery performed on healthy breasts of women for a mental health condition? And they said, At Costa Coffee, we celebrate the diversity of our customers, team members and partners. We want everyone that interacts with us to experience the inclusive environment that we create to encourage people to feel welcomed, free, and unashamedly proud to be themselves. I mean, what that doesn't answer anything at all, does it? Really? I take,
1: the, the, there's an interesting contradiction here. Um, Costa Coffee and all these other companies, I imagine, um, including Bud Light, um, that promote the idea that being trans, having irreversible medical procedures, cutting off healthy breast tissue, is, 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 is all the companies that promote that as cool and on trend, disclaim any responsibility for actually prompting teenagers to um, uh, become trans and do any of these dangerous things. The argument is that no, they've always been that way. It's entirely biological. They were born that way. And all we're doing is helping to lift the taboo uh, to enable them to be themselves. Um, uh, it's this kind of odd kind of biological essentialism. They endorsed this biologically essentialist explanation um, for the explosion of so many girls in particular, teenage girls in particular, becoming, identifying as trans. And yet when it comes to things like discouraging men from committing sexual assault, it's got nothing to do with biology, it's nothing to do with inheriting criminal genes. It's all because of the environment. So if we can just tweak the environment by putting up these posters saying mate on them in the tube, we're going to cure the problem of the plague of sexual violence against women and girls. It's just kind of like when it suits them, they become biological determinists. You know, If you're gay, it's biologically determined. If you're trans, you were born that way. But if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're prone to violence, then it's entirely the fault of posters on the tube not being woke enough.
0: Interesting point, Toby. Yeah, you're right. It, there's nothing to do with social behaviorism and all that kind of stuff. You're right. We can influence men to, to not assault women by a crap advert. But we don't in any way influence young people to become trans by making it pervasive and cool. Yeah, that is an interesting contradiction. And are you also suggesting there that people only become gay, or be due to some sort of trauma or incident in the world? Is that is that? No, what no, no,
1: around? no. But but the kind of <laughs> the idea that um, you're born gay. I mean, you know, it's it's become taboo now to say people choose to be gay. I mean, some some people get into trouble. They they try and kind of. Virtue signal to the kind of woke Brahmin class by saying, "I've got no problem if people choose to be gay." And they say, "Choose? No one chooses to be gay. They're born that way. How dare you?" Um, uh, so you know, it, it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. Um, I'm probably lean towards the, um, you know, um, uh, 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 more Darwinian. Biological explanation for human behavior, including sexual preferences, but uh, which is one of the reasons I think the mate campaign is a complete waste of time and money. Um, uh, and actually, I think there is, but but I but I think in the case of you know the explosion of teenage girls identifying as trans, I think that probably is socially influenced and not because they were always that way, and it's just the taboos been lifted so they can therefore be their true selves.
0: Yeah, but now you've got to go further, Toby, and be consistent and say that it's all social. I mean, I tend to, I th- I tend to think that. I tend to think you're born normal. Something goes horribly wrong, <laughs> and, then, and then you end up one of the one of these things. That's my position. Um, I don't know. You know, it's very controversial, isn't it? But but yeah, definitely with the trans things. Obviously, you can look at the numbers, and obviously uh, the, the massive increase in it must be to do with social contagion.
1: Um, well, one argument, one argument which I quite like is that um, let's suppose that the explosion in the number of um, teenagers presenting with gender dysphoria at places like the Tavistock is entirely due to the taboo being lifted and um, uh, it becoming more socially acceptable for these young people to become their authentic selves. Well, if that's the case, and it's entirely uninfluenced by things like the Costa ad and Doc Martens, um, then why is it that the number of women who are trans-identifying outnumbers the number of men by a ratio of something like 10 to 1 at these clinics? Um, that suggests that there's an element of social contagion, because if it was just lifting the taboo, you'd expect the split to be 50-50.
0: Yeah, and James S has told me on my show that it was very much in that in that that imbalance, but then it is now starting to change, but that's also a, a result of, of the social aspect catching up. Yeah, it's interesting. This it all comes from a sort of Rousseauian idea that we have a sort of perfect authentic self. That's 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 the obsession, isn't it, amongst the whole movement, being your perfect self and no one can deny yourself. Whereas it's like, is it actually great to be your totally authentic self? I mean, you know, kids come out, they need an awful lot of conditioning so they don't just sort of shit everywhere and then just not incredibly rude. I mean, why is it necessarily so good to be your authentic self and, and does such a thing really exist i mean these are interesting questions and the assumption is yes
1: it's 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 a kind of romantic illusion for which there is very little evidence as you say popularized by jean jacques rousseau and it's it's a it's it's a concept which underpins progressive education the idea that teachers just have to get out of the way allow children to be their authentic creative selves and if you allow children to learn at their own pace learn according to their own learning style discover what it is they're interested in work on their own projects that's going to be a far more effective way of of nurturing healthy well-adjusted curious children than actually trying to fill them stuff them full of facts in a kind of grad grindian way but actually mm. you know it's 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 complete nonsense and it's under and 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 it's um fueled the wrong turning in education which has left us with kind of generation after generation of completely uneducated kind of feral children
0: yeah and it seems very anti-christian i mean christianity we say honor your father and mother which is the opposite really isn't it in many ways and then we also talk about you sort of give yourself to christ it's not really about being your authentic self it's a bit it's very different and also what you're saying there suddenly reminded me of um, of Dead Poet Society. Did you ever see that thread that there was, I don't have it in front of me now, but it was debunking Dead Poet Society and, and sort of showing why this guy is really a monster that leads them to be, the Robin Williams character, leads them to be right. all sort of following their cells and they one of them, kills himself and it all goes wrong for them was actually really they should have just followed the school and followed the sort of teachings of their elders <laughs> and not listened to this yep. and this guy it, it completely flips the whole movie you can't see it in the same way again and actually mm-hmm. that's what they are now the modern the modern educators and the woke movement are kind of a robin williams figure just saying follow your instincts you know be jump you know it, it takes away all standards of education just makes it about ultimately it'd be about banging drums in a cave is where they end up isn't it quite quickly yeah, and,
1: and, and and I think you know it's it's one, one of the one of the shortcomings of um, these unconstrained visions of what a good society looks like, to use Thomas Sowell's phrase, um, is that they believe that all mankind's faults, the reason mankind is a fallen creature, um, is 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 because of all the evil they learn um, in society. And if you can, if you can, cleanse society of those evils, that inequality of white privilege, and the rest of it, um, uh, and allow children to grow up in a completely unconstrained world, in this kind of utopia, then they're going to they're going to kind of turn out just perfect. Um, whereas, in fact, you know. The more the, the the standard conservative position, the position I imagine of you and I, is that actually um, all these constraints um, that exist in society, these traditional values, these fences, um, are what keep us from killing each other and giving into our more primitive atavistic impulses, which lead to chaos and destruction. Um, so, actually, if you strip away um the kind of architecture of society all the customs and traditions that have evolved over hundreds sometimes thousands of years you're left with chaos and destruction
0: yeah yeah pretty much and uh, i suppose the difference is i would say we're we're in a fallen world in a christian sense you might not go that far because you don't know don't, you i think you go as far as that toby but you might say I mean, what would you just say it's just human nature is just it's just violent or something what would you say
1: a sort of hobbesian view there was never a moment you know there was never a Garden of Eden, a city on the hill. there was never a kind of prelapsarian state that mankind was in. We've always been fallen creatures we've never had anywhere to fall from we're just it grubbing along it
0: was it yeah. was actually Eden that we fell from. um <laughs> I have to kind of <laughs> call out Toby on Dennis I've been watching the unlocking <laughs> the Bible series with David Pawson, which uh, the Reverend Jamie Franklin recommended to me and I really recommend it. he goes through the whole Bible, and it sort of explains loads of key things that you might have missed in a really simple way. It's brilliant, actually. It's a, it's a YouTube series. So if any Christian, Christians probably already know about it, I'm probably late to it, but shout out to David Pawson Unlocking the Bible. I think he's dead now, but everyone should check that series out. Um, but this, that's that, that's somewhere we disagree to. We, we could probably get into that on another episode, but, but it was interesting on part of this cost-to-copy thing that on a related note, that Andrew Neal has now become a turf. He says he's pleased to be branded a turf because that puts him in the same camp as J.K. Rowling. And he was sort of shocked by this person, Chloe Cole, who had had the, the mastectomy at uh, 15 uh, against her, you know, realizing later that it was a terrible thing, left her feeling suicidal. And I think Andrew Neal was so shocked by this story. And apparently he unblocked Graham Linehan as well. And I, I, I had two thoughts here, really obvious thoughts. That one... It's good. But two, why did it take him so long? And it's just quite interesting that it's taken some of these people so long to realize what's going on. But I think maybe Neil is on a bit of a red pill journey. This is my little theory. He he was part of G B News, of course. Then because of the attacks on G B News, he got worried and he and he kind of he kind of backed off and he he didn't want to be he dissed G B News, he didn't want to be part of it. He had his Channel Four show, which is kind of going back into the woke beast. That didn't work out, so now he's kind of free again. And with the with the Farage scandal, he seemed he was very like aggressively anti-coot and very concerned about you know taking away banking. So that's kind of red pilled him a bit. Now he's on this. Now he's become a turf. I don't know, Toby. Is Andrew Neil just on a red pilled journey?
1: Well, I think he's 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 always been quite red pilled on some issues. He's you know um, a natural conservative and has been. Um, all his life, I think, from when he edited The Economist, Sunday Times onwards. Um, uh, but it's interesting that he, the reception he's got from the turfs. like some of them have been, you know, um, they've sort of welcomed him to the fold. Others have said, you know, why did it take you so long? And others have been even less sympathetic and said, you know, oh, thanks for finally waking up to something we've been ringing the alarm bells about for at least five years where have you been it reminded me a bit of the reception that kind of late to the party lockdown skeptics got from the kind of hardcore of the skeptical community You know, lots of people quite cross about the fact that they had only woken up to the harms caused by lockdown quite late in the day long after you know there was an opportunity to kind of protest about it or do anything about it but my attitude has always been you know Let's welcome the converts and um, make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think ditto with, um, you know, um, uh, late life turfs, you know, better late than never. And they should be welcome to the fold.
0: Yeah, I think I'm more with you on that. And it's, yeah, there are some people very angry about the lockdown, even the lockdown sceptics were not quite sceptical enough and didn't get on there in March 2020. And I've thought about interviewing some people about this. Actually, I was incredibly early to it. I never was pro lockdown, but I think a lot of people switched. And I think that is okay. Probably, like you say, and if yeah, why not? Let's. Let, we need Andrew Neil on board. Why not? I'm not going to hold it against him, even that he did GB News because it's too important that we stop mutilating children. So, we welcome Andrew Neil to the fold. He's part of the. Ter- and is he your mate from the Spectator as well?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, I've known him for a long time, um, and yeah, he's still chairman of the Spectator. I think that might change if um, Rupert Murdoch buys The Spectator, um, which was the rumour a few weeks ago. Haven't heard much about that since. Will you be out as well if Murdoch comes in? Not necessarily. Um, I think I'm you know, <laughs> too too beneath him to notice, so I'll probably be okay.
0: I've seen the list, Toby. It's you and Neil, and you just both crossed out. There's just a line through <laughs> you both. I didn't want to say, but it's been going around. It's just a big line. Um I think it's because of your association with me, and I'm on GB, so it's all a bit
1: common. Oh, you're on GB, so that could be a problem for Murdoch. But doesn't, wasn't there a rumour that Murdoch had actually offered to buy GB News as well, and he was rebuffed? I, I heard the
0: rumour that he offered to buy it, but if he hasn't bought it, that makes that still makes you the enemy now if you're on it, right?
1: Not necessarily, no. He must, he must like the cut of our jib, so far as he's noticed it at all, if he wants to buy the channel that we are the stars of.
0: <laughs> but we've rejected his jib by... By rejecting the offer, so I don't know would he be jib, uh, jib spurned?
1: he's been jib shamed yeah um no I, what I, I imagine more m- 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 I think' it's still with the ship um but but more more likely Nick I think he'll you know he'll he'll news uk will come in with an offer saying we're desperate to kind of save um talk TV um uh, we need some really charismatic funny presenters um will you bring headliners to talk tv here's a check for a million pounds of course I'm yeah true. yeah. So, i'm no.
0: always amazed with the lack of uh people not realizing my full talent i mean it's it's quite extraordinary i mean some people realize it now with my podcast my other podcast is growing people are starting to realize it but i'm always amazed that people are i mean it's semi-recognized by gb but it's not i wouldn't say it's sufficiently recognized so i think everyone's missing out there and they, they go with the more obvious shouty personas don't they on these things but yeah i could probably single-handedly rescue talk tv but it's quite
1: late, isn't it? Didn't talk
0: TV can be saved?
1: I think... uh... Supposedly, according to... I think there was a report on Guido Fawkes' site saying um, they had until Christmas to save it. Murdoch had given them until Christmas to try and turn it into something, to try and compete with GB. uh, Do you have a theory about why, why is it so unsuccessful compared to GB News? I mean, it's... It's not wildly different. They started at roughly the same time. I mean, GB News, I guess, has first mover advantage, but they have some big stars like Piers Morgan, arguably, you know, more name recognition than anyone on GB News, maybe not Farage, but most of the others. Um, why has it been such an abject failure? I've got a few theories. One is
0: that Angelo was smart enough to launch first, which you've said the first mover advantage. I know that was very important. And that's why everyone said, oh, the, the launch was so chaotic. It's like, yes, it was chaotic but we got in there first, which was key, because that market is not that big, probably, is it? It's, it's probably just, there's only room, it's town it big enough for the both of us, basically, as Sparks sang. So yeah, th- there's the first mover advantage. Then there's the fact that it's a kind of American, talk TV has a weird, sterile American vibe to it, which people don't particularly like. GB has a more English eccentricity, I think. Uh, that's just, that's a very subjective take. The other thing is that Piers Morgan lost a lot of, a lot of credit and cash there, I think, in, in, in lockdown, in his terrible behavior mm. during COVID. And you can't really just get away with threatening massive amounts of the population, many of whom are the kind of people that would probably watch something like Talk TV and say, mm. you don't deserve healthcare if you don't get vaccinated and wild things like this. He said a lot of really disgusting stuff, which led to me pointing that out and actually getting blocked by it. Um, <laughs> and if you look at his show now, it's, it should actually be called Piers Morgan... Are You Going to Apologize? That's what the title should be. Because all he ever does is he gets uh, Tate on. You, uh, yeah, I know, I agree with some things we say. I agree with some. But are you going to apologize for this bit that I don't agree with? Then he gets on Kanye. You know, you, you, you know, obviously very talented. But are you going to apologize? Then he brings on Pearl. I'm just say, are you going to apologize? Stop getting people on and just asking them to apologize. Like, what does he get? Does he like? It's like he's sucking souls. Like, for every apology, he just, I like, grow stronger. Like, what are you getting from all these people? What a weird thing to do is just bring people on and constantly force them to just sort of you know force him into a sort of empty apology i thought the way he behaved with pearl was disgusting as well the other day i mean pearl you know obviously controversial and everything she put out a song late at night she did a load of songs on her thing and one of them was about jewish people it was a misguided song but piers morgan brought her on and instead of you know, honestly, I'm saying we want to talk about your song, and you know, it was whether whether it was right or wrong. He, she was brought on with this premise that we're going to talk about free speech, and she fell for the old journalistic trick. Toby, I know we we talked about this with Tate and the BBC. They all said, "Oh no, it's going to be about free speech. It's going to be another person. Pierce is very pro free speech. That's what the debate's going to be about." They brought her on. They had a, a woman from a Jewish organization to just call her anti-Semitic and they, it was all about her song and it was nothing about free speech and it was just, this, are you going to apologise for this song? And they just completely stitched her up. I just think that's a sort of short-termist approach, whatever you think to Pearl, to stitch up your guests and lie to them about what they're on there for. I don't know, did you follow any of that?
1: No, um, but I guess he wants, you know, his show to be the go-to show for kind of shamed entertainers podcasters YouTubers who need to apologize to rehabilitate themselves and I guess it's kind of like it's going to make for a a good clip on social media which gets a lot of hits but I think you're broadly right I think that all those things you mentioned are obviously contributory factors but I think the fundamental mistake that talk tv made was trying to position itself as just to the right of center so it's 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 almost not even right of center. Um, it seems right of center if you think the BBC and Sky News are the center, um, but it, it it doesn't feel for, for the for the ordinary viewer, I think, different enough. I mean, maybe Julia Hartley, Brewer, a couple of others, but that that the flagship shows, particularly Piers Morgan show, don't feel different enough to what you get on ITV, the BBC. It feels like another mainstream media product just done on the cheap, whereas. GB News feels like something different. It is a right-of-center channel. You know that that they have given a voice to people who would still be ex- who who are excluded by all the mainstream channels, including Talk TV, for the most part, unless they are wheeled on to apologise.
0: Yeah, and there was also also. I mean, look, I don't want to dis talk too much. I mean, I also I'm, obviously I'm Team GB. I almost can't win the way I describe it because I don't want to I don't want to alienate anyone in this section. But um, but but basically. I also thought they didn't benefit from becoming a TV show. Like I'd just forgotten then that Julia Hartley Brew was part of it. Of course, she had a good radio show, but mm. I don't associate her show with anything televisual at all. Like to me it stayed exactly the same. And Mike yeah. Graham and people like this, they they were good on radio. And 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 Mark Dolan before he came across. I thought these were all good radio shows, but they, they were radio shows and they didn't the only one that seems like it's really adapted to TV is Piers Morgan and it's pretty awful because Morgan's because of things Morgan doesn't says. So I don't really think so. What show is really? There's no show that it all just seem like adapted radio shows to me. I don't think it's gained anything from being on the telly. That's the
1: successful bit of talk TV. The bit that works is the bit that's still like it was before talk radio became talk TV, and they just stuck a camera in front of the radio presenters. I mean, the the stuff in the morning, in the afternoon, that all works fine and probably gets you know decent listeners um but yeah it's the kind of flagship stuff the stuff which is supposed to brand it talk tv which just doesn't really work
0: and there's not really another presenter of note is there who does a kind of big evening show like Piers? i can't who else is there? i don't even know who else there is i mean which is not a good sign i mean we've got farage who's just a genius broadcaster and we've now got Marg as well and we've got we've got dan and we've got all these people who are you know they seem to be really work as tv broadcasters Right. Well, the viewing figures suggest they do, and I think they do. Where's Talk, they've only got peers, haven't they? And we've got Camilla Tomine now doing very well as well. Yep. but um, yep. And obviously we've got headliners, and we've got the great Dr. Andrew Doyle with Free Speech Nation. I mean, I don't know. Who have they got? I don't want to diss anyone. Yeah, I don't
1: know. I'd never watch it
0: out. <laughs> because we're so loyal to GB. Um, all right. Um, that was a talk TV digression. And by the way, you were right about Jib. In the 17th century, the shape of the jib sail often identified a vessel's nationality, and hence whether it was hostile or friendly. I've just been going around not knowing the origin of that phrase, Toby, just lost in ignorance, a kind of (laughs) Rousseauian child just running free (laughs) like the woke one, not even knowing what the jib was. Um, A noble savage. A noble savage. (laughs) That's how a lot of people see me. Um, Do you want to quickly talk about this? Sunak reversal on drilling and net zero stuff. It's sort of vaguely important. And, and then there was the interview, probably the most interesting bit was the interview where it was on Good Morning Scotland, I believe. And they tried to stitch him up about, and do you think you should have flown here? How did you get here? He goes, well, I got here by my usual method. Yeah, I flew here because, you know, I'm the prime minister. I'm paraphrasing it. I have a lot to do, you numpties. You know, they, they only had him <laughs> for five minutes and they were just trying to get him on like, how did you get here? Did you get the train? No, of course, because it d- doesn't work. <laughs> nothing <laughs> worked did you get a car no because i'd have been in the traffic jam for most of the time if you want me to actually get here on time you have to fly don't i because i'm the bloody prime minister so i think that's really stupid I think an area i would not attack rishi on is a whether he's using a private jet or b his work ethic really i don't think that's the problem with him you can certainly attack him on is he conservative do his party have a chance was he really elected properly and so on but he seems to be an incredibly hard-working Person and 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 the private jet attack. It is obviously ironic when you have those stupid G whatever meetings. I wouldn't even have those meetings, and everyone flies in on a private jet to talk about the environment and Greta Thunberg and stuff. That's obviously kind of a an absurd spectacle. But an individual prime minister taking a private jet it's just inevitable, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I agree. I don't think that's that 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 that's going to cut through and land with the public. I don't think it's going to persuade anyone inclined still inclined to vote Tory not to vote Tory I mean it would have been different if he'd done what that Spanish uh green minister did remember that a few weeks ago she flew to the green boondoggle on a private jet and then uh, no I think she was coming there in like a I don't know Bentley or something a <laughs> Maybach and uh, but she but just before she kind of got to where the press were she got out and got on a bicycle and cycled to make it look as though she'd cycled all the way and everyone knew she'd just got oh, on yeah. a bicycle at the last possible moment um, but I think it I think it, it well, it's interesting isn't it that um, after the Conservatives um, rather miraculously and unexpectedly held on in Uxbridge and ricelip Boris Johnson's old seat the um, uh, they've decided that they need to row back a bit on their net zero commitments on the greening of the Conservative Party. But they haven't rowed back much. I mean, they, they, they haven't rowed back on the commitment to end the sale of diesel and petrol driven cars in 2030, new cars. Um, uh, they, don't, they haven't rowed back on the net zero commitment. Um, uh, but they 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 have made noises about um making it more difficult for local councils to introduce ltns to expand schemes like the ulez scheme if there's local opposition um and they have approved all these north sea oil drilling licences um uh which has infuriated you know even some greenies on now the conservative backbenchers like um alex sharma um so um it's. Uh, I think. I think it's. I mean. I'm. I'm. I think. I, I, I welcome, Rishi Sunak. Um, uh, you know, um, making this sort of qualified minor U. It's not really a U-turn, is it? It's a kind of shift, slight, sh- slight shift to the right of about ten degrees. Um, but you know, better than nothing. Um, uh, if only he now would go a bit further. Um, uh, but um, I think they they decided that um uh, uh, clearly they focus grouped this and and Tory High command has decided that if they if they that, that, that just stop oil is unpopular um and they've also decided that they can because labor doesn't condemn. Just Stop Oil's activities. Um, that Labour, and because some Labour donors are also donors to Just Stop Oil, they can present the Labour Party as the political wing of Just Stop Oil. So they can't therefore stop oil themselves, is that if that's going to be one of their big attack lines at the next general election. So they've instead just welcomed oil. But of course, that inevitably um, uh, attracts the ire. Of um, all the supporters of Just Stop Oil, but they probably think that's probably that that, that that works well for them. That's optically quite good. They want Just Stop Oil to protest outside CCHQ and to attack Rishi Sunak and to make a lot of noise and bang dustbin lids outside Downing Street because Just Stop Oil are probably one of the most hated protest groups in the country. <laughs> By the way, yes. what did you think of? Um, Just stop pissing everyone off. Did you see that a couple of YouTubers, one of whom seems to be—I mean, they seem to be very posh. I mean, a lot of YouTubers are quite posh. Um, A lot of them seem to be privately educated. It's like, are they doing like getting O levels and GCSEs at their private schools? And how to be YouTubers seems that way. Um, But this with Archie Manners and his pal, um, it, it was all turned out to be a stunt for their YouTube channel. And and they and they kind of say that we, of course. Aren't questioning that we're in the midst of a climate emergency and we need to do something to avert this looming catastrophe, but we just don't think Just Stop Oil are going about it the right way. But you know, so so they're, they're sort of in the wrong place on the whole net zero debate. They, they've clearly drunk the climate change Kool Aid, but at least they have succeeded in humiliating Just Stop Oil. So you've got to give them a few points for that.
0: Yeah, I I missed that big reveal, but I, that was my initial uh, understanding of it was that they were not criticizing their overall um I just threw that in there they basically they basically, Good word. Th- they basically th- yeah that was literally the only word I could think of which is <laughs> odd isn't it but um they weren't criticizing their overall take but they just were criticizing their methods as far as I could as far as I could see which is what you're confirming there I, I missed that reveal though it's not surprising it's a YouTube prank is it I, probably Mizzy behind it all did you see I was gonna ask you did you see Chris Packham's response to Grant Shapps talking about the oil licenses this is an amazing tweet he said, please screen grab this tweet, meaning the Shaps one, and keep it handy when food prices soar, water wars break out, your house burns down, your business is washed away, polar bears are extinct, or in a few years time when a desperate and angry young person asks you who was responsible for killing their world. And um, I love that he put the polar bears at the end, Toby, like like for anyone that wasn't suitably exercised by the thought of, Water wars, like that sounds quite important. The burnt that Your house is burnt down, right? Your business has floated off down the street. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm not bothered. Well, the polar bears are going extinct. You, so, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, that, it, why did you put the polar bears last? I mean, like everything else was <laughs> far more. Maybe he put, maybe,
1: maybe, Nick, maybe he put the polar bears last because actually the polar bear population is increasing. Um, uh, just like the extent of Arctic ice. At least in the summer. Um, no, it's uh, it's it's ludicrous, and it's, it's. I know they always said. Oh, is it? It's, it's been proved that there are more polar bears,
0: and that picture yeah. of the polar bear on the bloody ice float is just what they. That's how they fish, and it's, it's just always been yeah. polar bear propaganda.
1: Yeah, though the, the the polar bears are thriving. There's tons of them. Um, They've got them in acting. Yeah.
0: You can't yeah. move well, for polar bears now. I'm You're down the gym. Right they're always on the bench <laughs> press, and they are like. Do you mind if I sw- swap in with you? They're everywhere, Toby.
1: Yeah, no, they're, they're they're taking over. Basically, we're being swamped by polar bears. Um, but um, uh, the, the, the 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 someone made the point that um, you know even if Britain was to achieve net zero next week, it wouldn't make the slightest bit of difference to climate change because you know within within a few months the saving would have been undone by China's massive industrial expansion. Uh, you know, and unless you can get I mean, even if you, even if you probably wrongly believe that carbon emissions um, are actually causing global warming, um, uh, what do you do about the fact that? Um, if, if China doesn't in any way curb its global emissions, our curbing ours won't make the slightest bit of difference. So, you know, you can screen, I mean, even if Chris Packham's right, screen- screenshotting that tweet isn't going to prove that Grant Shapps is responsible for your house spontaneously combusting and a dead polar bear turning up on your doorstep because they are outside our houses after all. Um, that's that's like, uh, uh, that's China's fault. That's China. That's not us. China. If you believe it, which of course it's bollocks.
0: Yeah. And you know who else said that, Toby? The dark Lord himself, Mr. Anthony Blair, stepped in, didn't he? Tony Blair stepped in and said, "Uh, "Guys, what are we doing?" He basically said, "He said (laughs) that the the, why are we reducing our? The last thing we want to do is reduce our carbon emissions at the risk of increasing unemployment and shrinking the economy." I mean, was that Blair himself said that? That's incredible. I mean, I think it was Blair. I could be wrong because I'm just skimming this Telegraph article. But anyway, he said stuff like this. That might not have been Blair, but he said. He said things like, "We can only make a tiny difference to this, whereas China are just doing whatever they want, and we'd be much better off if we used our financial services, our strength, which is our financial area, to sort of bolster the developing world and get them more in line with where we are by utilizing our financial, you know, strength." That was that was his take on it, and we he basically went he went sort of anti net
1: zero. He basically like he's virtually a daily skeptic contributor at this point, Toby. Yeah, no, I was thinking about reaching out and saying, Tony, do you want to write something for for the Daily Skeptic about the climate change scam? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he 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 did. He he he's clearly um, uh, less green than um, Keir Starmer, seemingly less green than Rishi Sunak. Which he, poor old Rishi he must think, well, crikey, if even Tony Blair is putting the brakes on and saying, guys, mate, mate, you've gone too far on this net zero stuff. He must must give you pause for thought.
0: I know, I know, because he does know about winning. And I think people have seen, they've seen the ULEs was very unpopular. And they're realizing that when these, which anyone could have told you, that when net zero hits, the reality of it, voters will hate it. And I think Blair, you know, he knows how to win, doesn't he? And he's seen that. I mean, he's seen it quite late, but he has seen it. It's kind of like when he accepted that you can't keep going on about rejoining the EU. He just accepted, you know, we can't keep winning on this. Net zero stuff, so, but do you think Starmer will now take that on? And because he basically follows Blair, do you think he'll Blair secretly runs everything? Do you think Starmer will actually sort of semi-drop net zero?
1: I don't know. Has has the Labour Party come out and condemned the approval of these North Sea oil drilling and exploration licenses? I'm not sure that it has. Um, I think it's 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 uh, it's a difficult it's a difficult one for Keir. I mean, um, you know, he's got Ed Miliband in there as what the shadow net zero secretary um so um he'll have to get rid of him um if he is gonna pivot on this um but yeah it, it seems like um you know he, he doesn't seem that crazy about uh, the expansion of the ula scheme clearly sees that's going to cost labor a few seats and if labor don't get in the right place on this um i can see this you know um potentially derailing um the kind of uh election-winning train uh, for the Labour Party. Um, I'm not as pessimistic about the prospects of the Tories in the next general election as most people. I mean, I think we've probably gone through this before. But um, if you look back at the history of the leaders of the Labour Party, dating back to 1906, um, only three have won overall majorities at general elections. Clement Attlee, obviously Harold Wilson and Tony Blair. None of the others have ever won an overall majority at a general election. And Keir Starmer has a bigger mountain to climb. He needs to win, he's, he needs a bigger swing in order to achieve a one seat majority than Tony Blair did in 1997. And he's no Tony Blair. Um, and the boundary changes have made that even tougher. Um, you know, um, the polls are bound to shift back in the Conservatives' direction between now and the general election. Generally speaking, the Tories are better. Uh, at campaigning um, than the Labour Party, um, they've got lots of attack lines they haven't wheeled out yet, um, and uh, so I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that that Starmer's going to win an overall majority, probably be the mm. largest party, but um, maybe not large enough to form a successful government, or at least not a stable government for you know five years.
0: Interesting, you know, he is he is rubbish enough to do a kinnick and and and, and not win, but I think he, I st- I'm not as optimistic and tend to think he still will. And I just think the Tories will stay. Tory voters will stay home like they did at the at the the by election. Why Mm -hmm. isn't that? Won't they just do that as a kind of gesture of apathy and disgust?
1: Well, I think I think the trick for the Tories in the general election campaign will be to frighten people enough, frighten their voters enough to get them to get up and actually vote Tory to stop Starmer. Um, It's it's going to be harder to frighten them with Starmer than it is with. what, that it was with Jeremy Corbyn but I think you know if they, if they can tell if they, if I think I think I think the you know I think the thrust of that you know um, campaign project fear will be if you vote for this guy your electricity bills are going to go up you're not going to be able to drive to work um, uh, y- you're going to be scolded by people like Ed Miliband. you're going to have to install a heat pump if you want to sell your house and so on and so forth look at the mess they've made in Scotland it's an absolute. It's it's just a complete basket case country now. Uh, This is what's going to happen if you vote for this guy. I mean, who knows? Might 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 work a bit.
0: Yeah. What does scare the deep England Tory? I think yes, the idea that Jeremy Corbyn seizing your property does, and I think Mm. maybe things like inheritance tax, things like yeah, making your house impossible to sell, yeah, or or losing its value, or some sort of nimbyism, threatening starmer will you know plonk a load of social housing developments in your garden maybe something like that because they're not really exercised by the woke stuff they are a little bit but if they don't have you know school-age kids and stuff and they're not that you know what does what does get across to these people
1: mm. sure. I think they're kind of appealing to motorists I think that that, that could be quite an effective campaigning um, strategy you know you have a kind of maybe maybe a kind of you, you do it kind of you get an AI deep fake of kind of Keir Starmer um, driving up in a van outside your house coming out and attaching a wheel clamp to your car and um, locking it really tightly and then getting the key and then just tossing it away I mean, you can never drive again vote for this guy and you'll never be able to drive again will be the message
0: yeah not a bad idea but a lot of that sort of stuck to Sadiq Khan isn't it it doesn't really I don't know, Starmer sort of wriggled out of being that associated with you, Les. It's so associated with Khan, isn't it? Mm. And um, I don't know, and they're just Labour, just going to win London. Anyway, I don't know. This is not my strength, you're Toby. You're better on this stuff. Um, do we care about the Gina Miller story? I mean, it, was, it wasn't a massive story. It, was, it seemed quite big for about a day, but she was also debanked, or more specifically, her party was not allowed to get a bank account. And what we learned, of course, was that our side, Takes no pleasure at all in the in the idea of Gina Miller not getting a bank out. I, I found no part of me, Toby, that had a, any kind of schadenfreude and fraud or enjoyment about the idea of Gina Miller not getting a bank out, and that made me realize how sick the other people on the other side are, who was all gloating and just delighted that Farage couldn't get a bank out, which they claimed was because he didn't have enough money, and the John Soples and yeah. the Simon Jackson and all these all these, and all these that,
1: people were so thrilled. I just wasn't thrilled about it.
0: But that could obviously Gina be Miller cause... should have a bank.
1: Yeah, obviously, but that the lack of schadenfreude of any kind. I mean, obviously, you're a good Christian person, so don't experience that emotion. But it could be partly because um, she's kind of uh, a slight, a bit of a has been. You know, you probably haven't thought about Gina Miller for a couple of years. Her political party that's just been debanked was a complete damn squib. Um, uh, and uh, but had it been like, had it been Emily Maitlis? Or Alistair Campbell, <laughs> or, or or Rory Stewart, who'd been debanked. Would you have still not experienced any Schadenfreude at all? This is a good question. John, so
0: yeah, Rory Stewart, no, because he's just too he's just too silly. He's like he's a little puppet, isn't he? But um, he's like a little mannequin. But but Campbell and Maitlis. Now that would be a challenge, wouldn't it? Especially for Utah, because Campbell hates you so much. I mean, Campbell. Yeah, if Campbell lost his bank account or Maitlis, I would certainly definitely say they shouldn't lose their bank accounts. Would I also find it grimly amusing? I don't know. I'd have to wait and see if I was in that position. Who do you think would be the one for you? Toby Campbell, Richard I think – uh,
1: uh, <laughs> Who? Never heard of him. Um, but uh, I think I think I think Campbell was. His, I think anyone who gloated about Farage losing his bank account, who thought it was funny, who sniggered about it, um, and 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 reveled in the fact that he had supposedly lost it because he was too poor. To bank alongside these multi-millionaires at the posh people's bank, if they then lost their bank accounts, you know, it would be—I—I I, would—I'm I, not as good a person as you. I would find it impossible mm-hmm. to suppress a feeling of of kind of uh, glee um, to see them to see them hoist it on their own petards.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, certainly, I hated what Emily Maitlis said, and and Campbell and Maitlis and people like this are absolutely appalling people, but. The reason I probably wouldn't as well though is, is because uh, you know it's going to happen to you next and this is the difference between us on this side of you know, we know being against the grain of things it can always be us the way I've lived my whole the whole life my whole life I felt like an outsider so I know that I always just immediately put myself in the outsider's position in anything so you know as the, the vaccine comes up I'm like okay how do I ever not get into a a camp. How do I? Uh, how do I not get trapped because of a vaccine passport? I always seem to be on the outside of everything. I don't want to wear a mask or whatever it is. So when it comes to banking, I'm just like, oh yeah. What if I was debanked for my views or my podcast with Toby? or So like, you just sort of immediately and you've sort of been debanked by PayPal. So you, we mm. immediately put ourselves in the debank. But you have to be so confident, don't you, that you're going to be the establishment to, to take pleasure in these things. You have to be so either arrogant or naive, or maybe it's because you just when you're. What do you think that is, Toby? When you're someone who... I've said this before, I think, on the podcast. Actually, I think I've said it before. But it's when, you, when you back these things, it's because you're someone who thinks they'll always just naturally take the side of the establishment. You don't know what views you're going to have in future, what the debates will be. But you're so smug because you just you know you're someone who will just always side with whatever the orthodoxy is. Was I'm perhaps the opposite. I basically always know that I won't, so I'm always going to be in trouble.
1: Yeah, that may be the explanation in some cases. Yeah, you know, they have nothing to fear because they're always going to just, you know, um, cut their sails to catch the prevailing wind. Um, but I think the a bigger part of it is, yeah, they you are know, going to adjust their jib. The plane of sailing um <laughs> to avoid any obstacles um but uh, any polar bears um but no i think i think i think a, a bigger part of it is that they 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 honestly believe part of their bottomless arrogance is believing that they're on the right side of history and that that, that there is going to be no reversal for them things are just going to get better and better for their side people like us are relics we're antediluvian we don't know you know, we're on the wrong side of history, we'll soon be in the dustbin of history. Um, uh, so, so they don't anticipate, you know, um, a moment in the future when they might be, a, be at risk of being debanked. they just think they're going to become more and more powerful, they're going to continue to rise. The Reich will last a thousand years,
0: mm. all right. Well, that was Gina Miller dealt with. Uh, Toby, do you want to do our first advert?
1: So, we only have one advertiser this week, uh, Nick. Um, But the good news is it's our most loyal sponsor. It's Thor Holt. Are you looking to level up your professional game? Meet Thor, the executive coach who's achieved remarkable results with his clients. Thor has huge energy and insight, says Miles Davies from Aberdeen. Thanks to Thor's support, Miles and his team secured their largest contract ever, a chunky £20.4 million deal. Thor's thought-provoking approach helped build Miles's confidence, and the learning experience was nothing short of exceptional. And working with Thor was also great fun, according to Miles. Christina Chase from MIT in Boston couldn't stop singing Thor's praises. The teams at MIT have been blown away by his coaching. They consider the time spent with Thor as some of the best time spent with any individual, says Christina. Whether you're aiming for career advancement or you're a business owner seeking to enhance your leadership skills, Thor's coaching can unlock your potential. Don't miss out on this life-changing opportunity. Connect with Thor at linkedin.com slash in slash Thor for more information on how he can help you, or if you feel shy, tune in to Thor's Hippie Hut, spelt H-I-P-P-I-H-U-T, his coaching podcast on Spotify or iTunes and get ready for your own professional breakthrough. So that's linkedin.com slash in slash Thor or Thor's Hippie Hut on Spotify or iTunes.
0: All right, thanks, Thor. Well, I thought we'd also get our obligatory Tate segment in. So the Top G spot, we thought about calling it at one point. We need a special jingle for that. Maybe maybe Tate just comes in and says something like, from the dawn of human time, or one of his phrases that he likes to use. But um, the Top G spot this week, and people love it when we've gone about Tate. We haven't had anyone criticising us for talking about Tate too much. No one's ever criticised me for praising him too much. And so uh, we'll do another quick one. He had a three-hour interview with Candice Owens, and... And he was getting attacked a lot by the conservatives. That's the new thing now, just dunking on, on tape from conservatives. That's the new trendy thing to do. But I thought he had a good point in that even, even his dodgy stuff where he talks about his webcam studios and he talks about it all in fairly crude terms and it sounds like he's exploiting men and some would say exploiting the women. He pointed out that what about people like Jay-Z who sold crack and then when they become famous, they don't sell crack anymore. And this happens with all rappers, 50 Cent, or loads of rappers anyway. And there are loads of people where we'll give a, a pass to criminal behavior, and we say it's sort of a romantic part of their story. 50 Cent had to sell crack, and then he made his way out of the hood, and then he now he's a rapper and businessman. Whereas Tate doing it, people think it's disgusting. And and because they don't sort of link with the fact that they don't give him the same pass as being a, a, a black person, or his dad was black and he's mixed race, or of coming from loot and of coming from poverty. They don't seem to give him that pass that they the left particularly instinctively gives to to these to rappers. And, and rappers are highly misogynistic, and which is what Tate gets accused of. And rappers have sold drugs. So how is that different, Toby, from Tate having a sort of checkered past? He, he just said, look, I'm not going to apologize for what I did. I can say I wouldn't do it now or I don't like some of the things I've said. But actually what I did was I did what I had to do at the time to survive. What do you think to that?
1: Yeah, that's, that sounds like a slightly different tack. I thought when I watched some of his interview with Tucker Carlson, that he was essentially just claiming to be completely innocent and that all the things he'd been accused of were false. It was just a matrix attack. Um, that's a slightly different to saying, yeah, I did some bad things, but that was in the past. You've forgiven other people for doing bad things. Why not forgive me?
0: Yeah, and that is a development because in the Tucker video, he was talking about his recent case. He was, he was at pains to point out these things he'd done in the past and nothing to do with his recent case, which all stems from just a couple of years ago. But what has, what's happened since the Tucker interview is, for some reason, there's these, all these conservatives have decided to pile on him, and I've had all these people messing me. What do you think to this, Nick? And I always think that's a bit stupid because you, it means you're a bit programmed. Because I've been watching tape for years and years, I'm not programmed. I can form a nuanced overview. Whereas if you just hear about him in the mainstream media, how can you defend this guy? And then you hear about him in the conservative hit pieces, you're, you're being very programmed because you're they're telling you to have a knee-jerk response to Tate and you're going along with it. Whereas if you've followed him for years and years, you're not really troubled by these uh, their agenda. So the, the difference is, Toby, post-Tucker, the video montage was released, sort of all these bad things he said, and then he, he's had to deal with that now and been attacked by Liz Wheeler and these other conservatives. So then when Candace interviewed him, he incorporated that. And maybe it's the way Candace approached it, maybe it's because of the video, but it's for the first time he did actually if not apologize in the Piers Morgan type way, he actually just expressed a kind of regret. He said, look, yeah, I wouldn't say things like that now. That was a course I did on dating. It was quite crude. It was, you know, I was I was, I was, was saying how you should, he, he was saying how he dealt with the fact that he had a webcam studio when he's on dates and something if, if people find out about it or things like that. And he said, yeah, and he admitted that he approached it in a crude way that he wouldn't say now and he wasn't, and he was not thrilled with some of the things he said. Though he also pointed out, if someone dug up your entire life in the way they have with him in incredible detail, then would you come out of it totally clean? So he, he took a slightly more apologetic, not, you know, he, he did take a different view than he had
1: before. Okay. Um, I've, got an, I've got a new theory about Tate. I wanted to run past you as his um, PR spokesperson. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that the reason he's in so much trouble is because in the past, he's bragged about these various terrible things he's done. Um, uh, 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 he's kind of like a vice signaler. But I think a lot of it is just completely made up. Um, you know, he, he, he's, 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 I don't know whether he's a fantasist or a grifter, but um, uh, I think he's, he's got into trouble um, uh, for saying things which, which weren't actually true. For kind of you know admitting to vices or advertising exploitative behavior, which he which he was just inventing because he thought it would make him look good, um, uh, and now he can't he can't now say oh I was just making that up um, because then you know it would be really embarrassing and people would ask for that. you know graduates of Hustlers University would ask for their money back, um, but you know I, I'm just thinking there was a there was a good example of this in a in a piece about his interview with Candace Owens. I mean she at one point confronts him. About um, supposedly having, you know, a kind of webcam TikTok operation in which um, he'd used the lover boy technique to induce women to become kind of um, his kind of TikTok webcam Barbie doll strippers, and uh, and he said oh, that was eight years ago. I haven't done that in eight years. So in this article, you know, um, which supposedly debunks some of the things that. Andrew said in this interview and accuses him of gaslighting Candice. Um, it points out that uh, in a tweet in 2020, he said, last month was great for Cam and OnlyFans. Eight girls generated 51,000 US dollars. I'll give them a couple of thousand each and keep the 500. This month he's looking looking to be even better. Notice it's Dr. Emery A. Tate. I have a PhD. So, I think, first of all, there's the questionable claim that he has a PhD. I mean, I can't imagine the University of Sussex giving him an honorary doctorate. But did he actually do a PhD in theoretical physics in mm-hmm. Spur? No, that's time, a joke.
0: He... That's a joke about his course called the "Pimping
1: Hose Degree" that he used to run PhD. Okay,
0: so that's a joke.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. um, but 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 this business, maybe he didn't actually. Maybe he hasn't had a webcam factory for 8 years and he was just inventing the fact that these eight girls generated more than half a million dollars and he was only going to give them a couple of thousand and keep keep the the lion's share for himself but there was another one in in the there's a piece about him in the mail which kind of which made me a bit suspicious so it quotes him as tweeting um this is a uh, hold on it's um let me just find it it uh, it, it quotes him as um as saying uh, on a Twitch stream with Adin Ross he told the host quote I don't want to brag. Funny, coming from Tate. I don't want to brag, but I'm a trillionaire. World's first. He then goes on to explain, I was broke for a long time. I made my first million when I was, say, 27. And then I had 100 million by the time I was 31. And then I became a trillionaire quite recently. I mean, what's going on there? Does he expect us to believe that he's a trillionaire? Is he a fantasist? Is it just kind of bragadocio taken kind of down a rabbit hole. I mean, he's clearly not a trillionaire. I mean, I'd be amazed if he's got 10 million, um, but a trillion dollars. I mean, it's it's clearly BS, but what's going on there? Does he believe it himself? Or who's he trying to fool? And maybe, you know, he's lost touch. Maybe it's him that's living in the matrix. He's lost connection with reality. He doesn't know what he did, you know, eight years ago, five years ago. He can't remember really what his involvement was with the TikTok webcam factory doesn't know whether he used the lover boy method because he's told so many lies he's just completely lost touch with reality he's lost his grasp he can't tell now what's true and false in his world he thinks he's a trillionaire um even though what he owns part owns a car dealership in preston you know that's i mean it's just uh, what do you think's going on there do you or do you think he's a trillionaire i'm gonna
0: debunk all of that now toby with pure facts so for, you, you, see, this is the problem, Toby, because you've not followed him for years. Like I me, mean, you, you didn't know that the PhD meant the pimping hose degree, and that he was making a joke. So already, you're in okay. you're in trouble. The trillionaire was another joke that he made. It was a certain currency that he was a trillionaire in a, in a certain currency, and him and Tristan were making this joke. I don't know if Aiden picked him up on it on the stream or not, but he's made that joke before. It just means in certain currencies, he's not. Uh, that will be just taken out of context in the article. Uh, so he, but your idea that he's only got 10 million is absurd as well. I mean, the like the stuff he's done, you can never do, you know, the amount of Bugattis and all this. And if you look at the numbers of hustlers, university alone, when you look at the number of people they have times by how much it costs per month, blah, blah, you, you, you quickly realize there's no, you know, certainly his net worth is way higher than you're claiming though. Yeah. It's not a trillionaire, which would have been a joke. Cause I've seen him make that joke before. What's your other claim I'm going to debunk. Um, other kind about him being a fantasist I certainly think he exaggerated and this is this is part of the top G persona that eventually emerged as a kind of wrestler persona or something it, you know if you look at early videos of tape when he's fighting he's kind of quite down he's very normal he's like yeah you know I didn't feel that was a great fight it was a draw or whatever you know because he it was a kickboxer he was, and this is a thing where you can't lie about it. he was a, a kickboxing champion but you know he, he lost fights as well and you see there some of the real tape, but he definitely exaggerated more and more. He took on this persona. He was selling online courses, perhaps with dubious uh, ethics, and he was he was becoming more and more exaggerated in his persona. I don't think that's the same as being a pure fantasist. I don't want to comment on when, because I don't know exactly when he was doing certain things, like you're saying that tweet, and obviously now he'd want to play that down. But yeah, I think it's a sort of classic thing we have now, isn't it? In, in a way, across social media and the internet, and in, in life in general, you, you want to... Be as controversial as you can to get somewhere. But when you do, you then can get cancelled. That's pretty much the business model of so many people now. And this is the problem with hmm. Twitter or anything. And Piers Morgan's face this problem with other people like that. You, you make a reputation saying controversial things. Clarkson is another one. Then there's always a thing that's too controversial. And then you get cancelled. And that's, that's just almost how it is for everyone. So I think that Tate is an extreme version of that phenomenon. He, he's, he's come up saying exaggerated
1: things. And now it's a problem for him. Well, yeah, well, maybe I'll, I'll row back a bit. Um, uh, maybe what's going on is that he kind of cosplayed this kind of um, unbelievably successful entrepreneur slash influencer slash self-publicist. It was kind of a persona he was adopting um, and, and, and never, never kind of let you know exactly how literally he expected you to take it, how much distance there was between the real Andrew Tate and the Andrew Tate mask but that was a deliberate obfuscation because he wanted some people to think that he was a trillionaire he was unbelievably successful all these cars he was standing in front of were his and all the beautiful girls he posed with were his girlfriends you know and he really was you know this 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 incredibly successful role model etc even though there was clearly it wasn't intended to be taken completely at face value, but he, he wanted enough people to take it at face value or to be taken in by it in order to enroll at Hustler's University and so forth so he could enrich himself. But now that he's now that he's been accused of all these terrible crimes and people are citing some of these claims he made in the past as evidence that yes, he is that bad guy. He's saying, No, no, I was only half serious then. There was an element of irony there when i said i was a trillionaire that was a joke i wasn't intending to you know lure people to join hustler's university so they too could become trillionaires it was just a joke i'm not really a doctor i don't really have a phd that that too was a joke you know but it's like he wants to have it both ways doesn't he i mean you can't really have it both ways either you know um uh you enrich yourself by boasting uh about these various things hoping that enough people will take them literally to give you their money or you're joking in which case you know should he give the money back
0: thing is toby when you're not a boomer and you followed tate he we knew he was joking the phd thing at the time he said remember i've got a phd this was like an in joke because he had this course everyone knows that was a joke The cars are his. I mean, they've been seized mainly by Romanian authorities now.
1: Seized by the companies he leased them from, probably. No, I don't believe (laughs) that. Couldn't couldn't pay their monthly stipend.
0: (laughs) No, I don't believe that. There's always that lease attack on people. I I don't believe it would take, but you can believe it if you want, Toby. I have become a bit tired of defending him. I kind of walked into this one because just because there was an update that that Candice had interviewed him, but I am a bit bored of defending him. With all these people, if you I follow everything in such detail, internet culture. I, I had the same thing with Alex Jones. and Other people, when you follow them a lot, you get a nuanced overview. When you only hear them in sound bites from the media, you, you inevitably just you know don't really know what you're talking about. But it's not like I'm desperate to end up defending Tate the whole time. The only thing I don't understand still is why is what people get out of judging and why they why, why this warm feeling they clearly seem to get from just thinking they're so much better than Tate. I take a different view where I just feel. I just take the sort of, I don't know, I don't know if it's a Christian view or it's just my view. I just tend to assume that I'm the same, uh, that I've, you know, as bad as anyone, even though I've not managed to do any of these terrible things <laughs> that, that people get accused of. I mean, I, I should probably have racked up more terrible things if I'm going to feel like this. But I just tend to assume um, that I'm I'm not this great person, whereas other people seem to enjoy judging and they seem to get this great feeling out of, judging Tate and saying how, you know, he's terrible, whereas he's not Christian enough, he's not conservative enough. Or even Francis and Constantine both called him a pimp in the same day. That they, they, Apparently just the memo just dropped for them. They managed to come up with that very sort of boring take. So people have all these takes. They, they, they seem to get something out of judging and condemning people that I don't. I just don't seem to be that kind of person. This might be why people loved my James Delenpole interview and said it was really great and they, they really got to know James, properly and things like this i just seem to have a lot of empathy and just want to hear people's side so maybe it's just a personal thing but then it leads to me getting attacked all the time for defending defending people whereas i'm just i don't know i just think maybe i'm just an amazing person but, the, the, <laughs> but what, what is this that people get so much on the on our side from judge and i'm then they message me like why are you defending Tate? why do you care it's like but why and, and why is it the christian thing to judge taste i don't think it is i think you you
1: you you sound a bit like um one of those um Wokies, um who kind of who condemns white privilege says britain is systemically racist talks about decolonizing the school curriculum wants to pull down statues etc and then when challenged about any of it says you know what i'm just too exhausted to defend anything i've said on this it's like if you, you, you just go educate i've no, just been defending come back and we can have a conversation oh, i've got a phd i was defending stuff. him about five you, episodes you've at best got a gcse and it's like if you are gonna I, mean, I think the problem is you are literally the only person in the country defending andrew tate so i think you, you you have to accept that you're gonna have to be doing some defending you can't then turn around and say actually you know what i'm bored now of talking about this um well you,
0: you, i was just aware that some of the listeners have got bored of it as well and then oh, i suddenly no, no, no. i think i just haven't eaten very much and i suddenly just got tired of it in the middle there <laughs> but man, this is after this is after doing about five episodes on it no no i'm just i'm just yeah i'm getting slightly fatigued with it all because people like accosting me about it as if i'm tate but i also don't understand why they're why they're judging him makes them so great themselves I mean, as he points I do think that's quite a decent argument. That if if they were sort of if anyone was if you went through everyone's behaviour in, in such incredible detail as his, that they'd all come out that well. I mean, I don't know. I think I don't particularly know of anything I've got, but um, I don't know. Toby, you wouldn't come out very well. I mean, I've been through. Some no, of your and files. actually, I, I,
1: when I was when I was cancelled, I remember making a similar argument, um, uh, which is that um, if you if you if you if you forensically audit everything, any person has said or written in the way that I've just been forensically audited they're probably not going to come out any better we've all said and done things we regret um and uh, it seems a bit unchristian um to uh, forgive some for, you know, be to not forgive someone for having made some mistakes um I think I think it is it's quite a it's quite a it can be quite a powerful argument and particularly when you when you point out that many of the people that are attacking you and think you should be you know, tossed to the wolves, excommunicated, given no way back, um, uh, are perfectly prepared to, you know, forgive child murderers, serial rapists, provided they appear to be contrite and penitent, um, provided they're, you know, um, haven't provided they're supposedly from a historically marginalized group or whatever it is. I mean, liberals are constantly kind of... Um, saying how much they believe in the rehabilitation of criminals. And yeah, there are lots of famous cases with people like Norman Mailer championing the rights of people accused of rape and murder, and they get out, and of course, they immediately rape and murder again. Egg on face. But um, there does seem to be this kind of weird schizophrenia amongst the kind of woke whereby they do seem to be prepared to forgive all manner of sins in some people. But if you breach a, a woke speech code, then you're toast, and there's no way back.
0: Yeah. Whereas I'm pro death penalty for some of the crimes you mentioned, so uh, maybe I'm an enigma. But um, yeah, I think it is a perfectly good argument. I think my thing is, I'm just thinking if I was audited in that way, there are no skeletons in my closet, but there are all the skeletons are just open. Like all, it's all the stuff I've said on national TV and this podcast and my other podcast. What they'd do with me is just go through loads of tweets loads of videos and it would all be stuff I've just openly said. they say, well, look at at the things he believes. I think that's probably where they'd get me because it wouldn't really be anything private. There's no secret pimping.
1: uh, uh, That doesn't, that doesn't, yeah, being open about your various shortcomings doesn't in any way protect you. I mean, I, I made a living for no. years, for decades, about being, you know, a professional failureist. I was self-deprecating about my shortcomings. I exaggerated my faults. I was a vice signaller rather than a virtue signaller for kind of, you know, comic, provocative purposes. Um, but when I got cancelled, the offense archaeologists went through all these things I'd said and written dating back to 1987 in one case. And it was as though, you know, they'd discovered it. They'd use their investigative skills um, uh, t- t- to discover all this dirt on me. I remember the, 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 probably the, 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 the most stark example was um, someone dug up an article I'd written in The Spectator in 2000 in which I criticized the British Board of Film Classification for kind of giving some film an 18A or 18 restricted certificate or something um, and um, and compared our censorship laws with the censorship laws in Sweden and said there was no correlation between um, uh, how liberal your censorship laws were and sex crimes. The sex crime capitals of the world were in the Middle East where they have very restrictive censorship and so on and so forth. And I had, in the course of telling this story, talked about um i I, de- I described um an anecdote involving philip larkin um being um uh, loitering outside a sex shop in soho uh, too too frightened too embarrassed to go in and the owner actually came out and approached him and said was it bondage sir and as a matter of fact it was bondage and i referred to larkin as a fellow porn addict and uh, and then someone screenshotted that the the the, 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 the spectator sub. At the time, thought it would be funny to put the headline on this particular article: "Confessions of a Porn Addict," and um, uh, it was a throwaway, self-deprecating line in the piece. But anyway, that he thought that would be funny, and maybe it was funny at the time. But someone screenshotted this article in the Spectator's archive, reproduced it on Twitter, and then, like, literally within hours, on um, in the Evening Standard, ran with the headline: "Theresa May's new university czar confesses to being porn addict." And uh, and it was as though you know I, they'd sweated me under the lights in a in a dark room somewhere in a basement <laughs> in central London, and they'd got it out of me eventually that I was a porn <laughs> addict. And the Times then reproduced it the next day, you know, on page wow. three. You know, uh, uh, so yeah, being being open and confessional and self-deprecating and trying to be funny about your shortcomings does not protect you when the mob come for you.
0: That's so funny. It's like, it's like, it was part of the job interview. Like, and are you a porn addict, Toby? (laughs) Like for for Theresa May, she just, just you and May (laughs) going through it in a room. Um, That is funny, Toby. It might help me slightly that I'm a comedian, whereas you're supposed to be a serious person. I would never get that job in the first place, but it might help me slightly, but no, my claim was not that it would help me. My claim was just when I think, oh, what are my skeletons that would get me if I was given the full tape treatment? What I think is I don't really, generally don't think I have any, but what would get me is all my open statements. I'm not saying it would, it would help me. I'm just saying, you know, it'd be me on G, a montage of me on GB News <laughs> saying mm. horrendous stuff. It wouldn't be very hard. Um, no. Whereas, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be anything. I don't think it would be anything private that would come out. I generally can't think of anything. But um, maybe there's something I don't know about. Maybe they just talked to my ex girlfriends and said, oh yeah, he was... He was a nightmare. <laughs> I
1: don't know, maybe I mean, you, something like that. You wouldn't need to be the Indiana Jones of offense archaeology in order to skewer you, that's for sure.
0: No, 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 it would be, be easy. But um, um, was I going to say? One other thing about that, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, okay. Well, that's Tate dealt with again. Um, should we move on and do our occasional section, which many people love, which is Birdwatch. So interesting Birdwatch this week, Elon Musk, replied to the leader of South Africa. And he, it was about the, there was a video of a group of people saying kill the boar and basically talking about killing white South Africans openly. And Musk replied and said, they are openly pushing for genocide of white people in South Africa. Then he says, Cyril Ramaphosa, why do you say nothing? And that is quite a bold thing for Musk to write. And, um, I saw someone try to play it down here and say the majority of South Africans aren't seeing this as a call to genocide, and only 10% uh, go along with it. And <laughs> some people were like, hang on, that's still quite high for people that want to do a genocide. So, and this has been going on for a while. There's It he, he, he must reply to another one about a brutal murder on on a South African farm. And th- these things have been going on for a while. Lauren Southern did a film about it, but no one really gets behind it as a cause because, of course, white South Africans are like the least popular They're probably the only people more unpopular than just being a straight white man. The only person on the sort of uh, woke hierarchy that's worse than me and you, Toby, is probably a white South African. And so obviously no one cares at all. They've just been being murdered and it's been going on for ages. But now people are openly sort of celebrating it. And Musk has actually said something. Any any
1: take on this? Well, I suppose Musk is a white South African himself, isn't he? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's extraordinary that um, he's been... Vilified for this tweet Um, when, you know, um, Donald Trump was vilified for far less for supposedly inciting the um, insurrection um, in January 21, uh, or at least not doing enough to condemn it. I mean, I would have thought that the president of South Africa is far more complicit um, in whatever might happen as a consequence of, you know, this political rally, the economic freedom fighters, I think that the EFF is the party in question, chanting, kill the boar, and the leader of the EFF joining in, in you know, um, uh, whipping up the crowd into a kind of homicidal frenzy. Um, and uh, it's not as if white farmers aren't killed all the time in South Africa. And it's not as if white farmers, you know, weren't driven out of Zimbabwe um, by violent mobs whipped up by unscrupulous politicians. So yeah, it seems to me that this is far worse than anything Trump was guilty of. And yet the very same people who, you know, urged Twitter to ban Trump for supposedly inciting violence seem to be perfectly willing uh, to turn a blind eye to this. And it does seem, you know, really ominous and concerning. And I think, you know, um, I think the the line you draw, even if you are a free speech absolutist, people have said, "How can you say this? You're a free speech absolutist, Elon." But even free speech absolutists don't believe um, that people should be free to incite imminent violence, particularly imminent violence towards people based on the color of their skin. Um, you know, no free, no no free speech defender would defend that Uh, and the big issue with trump is: well did his speech cross the line and that was an internal debate that twitter had and i don't think it did myself um but um but in south africa yeah this particular political leader he's definitely crossed the line
0: yeah agreed and i doubt anyone will really care about it because like i say it's the least popular cause on earth um hopefully something will change and what did you think to our other bird watch which is kanye west is back which has led Sky News to do this sort of awkward headline: Elon Musk reinstates Kanye West's X account (brackets formerly known as Twitter). But really, they should be saying, "Yay, formerly known as Kanye, he's reinstated on Twitter, formerly known as X," because now, now everything has a different name. So, <laughs> Yay came back on, and then he was b- banned again, and everyone was like, "He's banned again," and then he's back again. This all happened in like the space of a few hours. So, but he seems to be back now. You can at least look at his account there, though it hasn't tweeted anything. And all his previous tweets are gone. So I don't know. He seems to be back on, but it seems to happen quite quietly. Same,
1: has he got the same number of followers as he, yeah, he? Well, I think before?
0: so. He's got thirty-one point six million followers. Right. So I guess, or he's not following anyone. I don't know. He seems to be back, as far as we can, as far as we can see. But um, I don't know. After he reportedly promised to refrain from posting anti-Semitic content, Variety says. So I don't know if that's true. Uh, any take on it? Because this very briefly came up on Headliners last night, and and then Josh sort of threw me under the bus with, with no time to discuss it. Simon's about to move on, and I'm saying, yeah, well, I think Kanye should be reinstated. And Josh will be like, yeah, yeah, you know, but he's just encouraging violence against Jews to 30 million people. Anyway, and he's like, then suddenly you look like the worst person in the world. <laughs> but um, to me, uh, Kanye saying, you know, his silly thing about DEFCON 3, I don't, I don't know. In my in my opinion, that doesn't really do anything, but what do I know? I just think uh, I'm just a free speech absolutist, so I think it should be on there. What do you think, Toby?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question as to whether some of Kanye's tweets incited violence against Jews. Um, I think, I mean, I think his his defense has to be that he's so clearly mad Um Uh, that few people, even his most devoted fans, would take what he says seriously. I mean, in order to incite violence against a particular group, I think you have to have a certain amount of credibility, a certain standing. You know, people have to, you know, trust you to a certain extent and believe in you and have confidence in you if they're going to, Follow your instructions to commit violence against a particular group of people, whereas everybody surely by now thinks Kanye has just gone off the deep end, he's a complete joke. Um, and I think when, 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 um, so that would be my defense of Kanye, no one would have taken him seriously. So I don't see that anyone reading his tweets would have actually thought, Yeah, he's right about the Jews, I'm going to go off and assault one of them. Um, but, um and also when he was when he was he wasn't banned he was only suspended i mean i think uh, if he, if he if he starts you know inciting violence against jews you know uh, again then um uh, i think he should he should definitely be banned again um but uh, permanently yeah I, I i i'm like as we said earlier i'm all for second chances so um let's give him a second chance
0: well i don't think he's mad and I, But I do think his comments like, oh, I'm going to go Def CON 3 on the Jews are kind of silly and don't... I don't think they do inspire violence, but I, mean, I think a lot of the things he says are kind of wacky while not actually thinking he's clinically mad. So I have both those positions at the same time. And as for whether he should be banned, to me, you shouldn't be banned, but I also don't think you should be banned for saying kill the, the boar. I mean, people that say horrific stuff about white people all the time on, on Twitter, and I, I want to see it. When they say kill the boar, You know, it's kind of interesting to see. And if people want to kill white people, I think, you know, let them say it on Twitter. And then we, you know, say, well, maybe I won't, you know, hang around that guy who wants to kill me. I'm sort of so absolutist. I just tend to think... Now, obviously, there is a line. We've talked about this probably a lot. But incitement to violence, especially immediate incitement to violence, does seem to be the line. Even the American First Amendment recognizes that. So I suppose there is a line with, like, if someone says you should kill Toby Young, here's his address... I, that is a line, but if someone says, "Oh, we should kill all white people in England," I don't know—is that a line or is that just a a, a dickhead? Well,
1: if you if you the the genocide in Rwanda um, was triggered by a politician um, urging his followers to attack Tutsis, and that was broadcast on a local radio station, and um, I would say that. That definitely crossed the line and the radio station should not broadcast what he said, even if it did expose him as a hateful person that you'd in future want to avoid. I think there are circumstances in which speech can trigger um, uh, imminent violence, Um, but I I think that's quite a high bar um, and um, until that bar is reached. Like you, I'm a free speech absolutist.
0: Yeah, I mean, if that is different, a specific venue that you should attack. I mean, if, if Kanye said, "Look, I'm tired now, but tomorrow I'm going to go DefCon three on white people." I mean, isn't that just something? I mean, ra- loads of rappers go DefCon three on white people constantly. It's just half of their output. I mean, I mean, a lot of them follow Louis Farrakhan, who thinks white people were made in a a cave uh, by some bloke. Well, I mean,
1: uh, you know, I, I suppose it's sort of it, it's testimony to. Um, Kanye's stupidity or perhaps just his madness that he thinks that like DEFCON 3 mean maybe this is too boring a point to make but uh, I'm sure lots of nerds have made this point DEFCON 1 is the highest one DEFCON yeah. 3 I mean what's that? You're going to warn the Jews that you might attack them if they carry on provoking you <laughs> I mean he, yeah, obviously he also wrote DEFCON
0: instead of DEF he wrote death like death instead of DEF as in dying he wrote right. DeathCon, so he didn't right. even So it's completely wrong if you want to go down that route. But anyway, I I don't know. I would leave Kanye on there personally, and I would leave all these nutcases who want to kill white people and as far as possible, unless they do it in an incitement way. That's, I suppose, a fairly boring conclusion I'm coming to there.
1: Should we move on to everyone's favorite section, Peak Woke?
0: Yeah, you've done it for me there, Toby, but (laughs) let's do everyone's favorite section. It's Peak Woke. So, yeah, I, I don't know how many you've got, Toby. I've got a couple here. Maybe I'll start with this one about trans men apply for Miss Italy in protest at born female rule. So about 100 trans men have applied to participate in the Miss Italy beauty pageant after its organizers said the competition was only open to people who were born female. And so they thought this was a clever way of getting around it. Obviously, you've now got to, you know, stop trans people ruining these, these. I was going to say tournaments there. It's kind of a weird way to think of them. Um, <laughs> contest And, um... And so you say, they said, okay, they, you've got to be born female. And that's a way of getting around it. But then all these trans were like, oh, well, we were born female, and now we look like men, but we're entering. But, but my point there was they, they failed to meet the second criterion, which is being good-looking and looking like a beautiful woman. So mm. beauty contests famously are about looking. I mean, they talk about how they want to make it in- inclusive, right? But beauty contests are the most exclusive thing possible. They're literally saying... Right, you ten are fit, you're ugly, get out. That's what a beauty contest is. So the idea of making it uh, inclusive or leftist in any way is completely absurd. And you haven't got around it because, yeah, you're a woman, well done, but you fail on the other criterion, surely, Toby, which is that you you could win a beauty pageant.
1: Yeah, I mean, couldn't they get around it by saying, yes, you can enter, but there'll be an initial sift in which we just... Um, decide whether you can go further to the next stage based on a photograph or a video that you send us. So, yeah, we, we'd welcome entries from trans men. Um, but um, uh, uh, you probably won't get beyond stage one. And you don't have to turn up in person in order to go through that stage. We can judge that on a desktop basis.
0: Right. And I'm not being hateful, but if you're in, because I'm saying your entire thing is to try and look like a man and become a man. And I'm saying, congratulations on that beautiful journey, but therefore, by your own admission, you don't look <laughs> yeah. like a beautiful woman. Yeah. check mate. What's yours, Pete <laughs> Woke, Toby?
1: So I've got, um, I don't know if you saw this, but um, uh, it's, it's. I think it's um, uh, yet more fruit borne by the Don't Divide Us investigation into the teaching of critical race theory in schools in the UK. Uh, there's a story in The Times, I think this morning, about how, primary school pupils, some as young as five, um, are being given lessons about white privilege. Um, they're being taught about BLM. They're being taught about police brutality. They're being told about George Floyd. And they've, they've, the teachers teaching this material have downloaded it from something called The Key, which is a resource I remember from when I was involved in setting up free schools, a resource that's available to schools you pay a monthly subscription and teachers then get access to all this material that they can use in lessons um and evidently you know they've they've bought a job lot um of kind of crt influence material from an american equivalent and and they've stuck it all on the key but what it's kind of clearly written for an american audience i mean it talks about police brutality i mean i mean Okay, you know there are occasional episodes uh, of police brutality in the UK, but you know we have a very different police force to police in America, um, and uh, it's it, it obviously designed for an American audience. And it just seems extraordinary that this apparently respectable resource that is used by schools across the country has put this stuff on its on its um, on its platform. And I, I just gave a quote to the mail about it which um, one of the one of the kind of things I think that schools often overlook and clearly the key is overlooked in this case is that section 407 of the Education Act 1996 um, imposes a legal duty on schools to um, present students with a balance of opposing views if they're teaching them, you know, politically contentious stuff, such as critical race theory, or telling them that white people are privileged, or that the police are brutal, Um, uh, clearly contentious, clearly meets the test for something that should be only taught with a balance of opposing views. And there isn't a balance of opposing views amongst these materials. It's very much a one sided view informed by this Marxist theory. Um, So it's almost as though the key is encouraging schools to break the law, um, uh, It's just pretty shocking. Um, but, of course, it's um, it's a law that's more often observed in the – more often honoured in the breach than the observance. I mean, most schools probably aren't even aware of it, let alone feel obliged to follow it. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was pretty shocking.
0: All right, that's pretty peak woke. I've got another one here. Trendy Notting Hill restaurant boss sparks diversity row by sharing Instagram photo of his all-white, all-male team of chefs. <gasps> Oh, no. And uh, this was Thomas Straker in Notting Hill. And people have gone completely mad and claimed it's unrepresentative of multicultural Britain and shows no consideration for women somehow. It's always uh, women that are the victims. And someone here tweeted saying, oh, it shows the bigger cultural problem we still have. Why are white men and their existence a cultural problem? It just shows how far we've internalized the hatred of white, white people, but especially white men in, in a still pretty white country pretty absurd thing to do we've sort of we've sort of internalized our own suicide or our sort of slow death we sort of want to off ourselves we can't even appear in a restaurant together as just a few white men without it being a massive problem for people and it's so crazy and this, this has gone everywhere really even onto things like gb news and obsession with diversity and this idea that if we just see a few white people together it's just inherently kind of evil or wrong or, or weird
1: yeah. i just so well, strange The thing which struck me, the irony of this particular story, it's a picture of this chef who became popular during the lockdowns, opened a restaurant in Notting Hill called Straker's. And it's a picture of him and his brigade, of all the staff, the dozen or so men that work with him in his kitchen. Uh, And everyone's saying, oh, white, you know, Um, uh, uh, white supremacy? Why aren't there any non-binary people? Why aren't there any women? Why aren't there any people of color in your brigade? Well, one of the answers to that question is it's a wretched job. It's poorly paid. The hours are terrible. You risk getting injured, burnt, having scalding fat or boiling water pulled over your hands. You risk chopping off one of your fingers as you're preparing under intense pressure, being shouted at. By a kind of uh, megalomaniacal head chef. I mean, anyone who spent any time in a kitchen will know that it is it is amongst the most difficult, tough, least rewarding. Professions. It's a brutal hierarchy in which you have to work your way slowly up through a kind of hazing process, a series of gauntlets before you get anything like a kind of decent job. And the idea that, you know, um, this is evidence of whites, the reason they're all white is because no one else wants to do it. It's because we are the underclass now. We're the only people prepared to do these horrible, shitty jobs. Great
0: point, Toby. It is a very tough job. Of course, yes. Yeah, the- it's ne- women rarely are competing saying why can't we do the oil rig jobs and fix the internet at night and in the high-risk jackets anyway i just think uh <laughs> no exactly no no one wants to do these jobs and i was laughing because i grew up literally in a restaurant and uh, my dad was the regular ma- maniacal <laughs> head chef except he wasn't because it was a very small restaurant so it was a bit of a very different vibe but he was a chef and and that's uh, that i grew up literally above a restaurant so it's just interesting. But yeah, obviously these high power kitchens, exactly, very tough environment. Only white men can hack it, Toby. That's what you're saying. No, I'm not saying that. I'm <laughs> saying that they aren't. It's like
1: odd to it's odd to cite the absence of people of colour, women, non-binary people, in a really shitty, low-paid job as evidence of injustice or inequality. I mean, if it was a highly paid job, if you were, if you had if it was a picture of a group of Cambridge professors, Or um, you know CEOs, then you could understand why it might be worth making a fuss about. Um, But if if it's if it's a kind of bottom feeding, lowest rung on the ladder sort of job then actually what it reflects is the fact that um people who are white aren't privileged they're, they're they're being forced to do these horrible jobs because you know they're failing at school they can't get into university they are the least successful demographic now by any number of metrics in contemporary britain uh, it seems to be proof of Precisely the opposite point that the people complaining about this photograph are trying to prove.
0: Yeah, I think when you see people stood outside a high-end restaurant on Instagram. It looks like one thing, but if we actually saw them in the kitchen, yeah. going, "I said, Bernays, no. you cunt!" Like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> just, just you know, dousing your head in, yeah, it, like in hot boiling water. Yes, yeah,
1: stick yeah. your hand That's in it. there. In That's it. In your wife's y- <laughs> lunch now for the rest of the shift.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's cold, you prick. Yeah, yeah very different, very different feel. Um, you're absolutely right, Toby. Do you have any more? I've got a couple more, but I'll let you do one.
1: Um, I think I had um, yeah one more, which is, um, I think you saw, I think on Headliners last night, you did this story about this um, library in Calderdale um, uh, trying to hide books by gender-critical feminists like um, Helen Joyce and... Um, uh, Kathleen Stock, because they're supposedly transphobic, they're bigoted, they're offensive, um, by which they mean they're expressing views we disagree with because we're woke dogmatists. Um, uh, but there's a there's a development in that story, which is that turns out lots of these, this isn't an isolated incident. It's not just happening in Calderdale, it's happening across the country. And one of the reasons it's happening is because there is this guidance that is shared with librarians across the country, actually urging them to conceal these books from their clients, their customers, um, uh, because they're so offensive to L. They, they, they come this acronym I hadn't quite encountered before, which is instead of LGBTQI plus or QIA plus, their acronym is LGBTIQ plus. It's like, I'm not sure adding IQ to that is a particularly good idea, particularly when you're, you know, um, urging people to. Burn books, you know. Um, (laughs) Effectively, Um, anyway, um, I didn't. Sounds like IQ minus
0: uh, would be more appropriate.
1: IQ minus, exactly. Good, good. Um, uh, Anyway, so it's uh, I've given a a quote to um, I think the Mail again about this. Could be the Telegraph. Um, No, it was the Telegraph saying that. uh, that uh, you know, um, witchfinder generals still exist, Nick, but um, they no longer wear witchfinder hats and black cloaks. They they they've got they wear rainbow lanyards and they've got pink hair.
0: Okay, I missed your brilliant quote because of our connection again, Toby, but I'm, I'm sure it was it was very insightful. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'm almost losing the will tip. I mean, again, this episode's been sorry, this episode's been a bit long again. People wanted it to be shorter, but uh, and I'm flagging because I've had the China virus, but. But basically, I've got two more. One is Labour-run council sponsors' five-day drag camp for children. It's another Labour council that's in Oxford, and it's Tart Productions, which is some absurd thing. And they're pushing this thing on 14 to 18-year-olds. And you learn, Toby, all about the history of drag, the long, rich history of drag. And you learn how to lip-sync. That's an important and difficult skill. And apparently, this is all age-appropriate insight into the world of drag, which, of course, it isn't because they're 14. And why is a Labour council involved with this? And it's called boundary pushing art. Yes, which what boundaries though? If it's the boundaries of AIDS, AIDS, yeah, why not? <laughs> of age, I was going to say, but probably of AIDS as well. So it's it's, it's pushing boundaries over. Totally, are these boundaries that we really want to be pushed? Uh, I say not. That was that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's odd that they've called it a camp as well. I thought they they generally. You know, it was supposed to be a culture war trope to describe these things as re-education camps because of the kind of uh, implicit reference to Mao's China, but they're actually calling it a camp um, where they're going to push boundaries and presumably um, uh, uh, it's a camp uh, reeducate camp. people who might have been corrupted by their parents' Christian values.
0: Yeah, disgusting stuff. And the only other one was University of Leeds tell students not to use the pronoun he in bizarre new advice. So this, you know, you, obviously historical texts often use he in just a fairly generic way, but that's gone. And they've got this pamphlet out about it called uh, From Trans Awareness to Trans Advocacy, a 12-page pamphlet, Toby. Um, Key quote, Allies can play a solidarity role in trans justice, but it's important that allies recognize the power and privilege they have as cis people. So basically, everything is wrong in that sense. Allies, nonsense, idea. uh, Power, cis is an insult that we don't like being called. Uh, We don't have power and privilege... The people they mean either. So, I mean, how has this reached Leeds, Toby? When it's reached Leeds, you know we're in trouble.
1: One of the striking things about all these guidance documents, this kind of um, tsunami of, of, of woke gobbledygook that's infected, that's flooding through all our institutions, it's like the, the, the sort of more educated, the more closely associated with education the institutions are, um, the kind of the closer they are to the kind of educated elite, the more likely people in these institutions are going to be subjected to this kind of gobbledygook. And from their point of view, it must be quite galling in a way because it all seems to be pitched at, you know, a set three English student in year 10 in a kind of failing academy somewhere in the northeast. You know, the level is so unbelievably infantile. It's as though, you know, it's all pitched at people who are sort of semi-literate barely educated um uh and the the trainers adjustment the, the the intellectual gulf between between the kind of mandarins running these institutions having to do these courses and the kind of half-witted room temperature iq trainers must be so enormous it must be that must be part of the humiliation like you know in 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 Mao's re-education camps, you were kind of beaten with sticks in cattle sheds and then paraded with signs, wearing signs um, uh, describing you as a kind of capitalist running dog. And People would throw stuff at you and spit on you. The equivalent today, the kind of soft totalitarianism version is we're just going to intellectually humiliate you and make you debase yourselves by pretending you find what these absolute midwits are saying really interesting and fascinating and useful and important. It must be so yeah. humiliating. I'm glad I don't have to do it.
0: No, it'd be horrendous. Um, any more, Toby, or should we move on? Let's move on.
1: All right. Well, let's do our... Your, your favorite bit. Your favorite bit, Nick. Yeah. The well, reviews. The, review people the reviews. People are loving
0: this section. I think you might call it... a you give it its own title and call it Review the Reviews. Yeah. Let's review the reviews. Because, uh, yeah, people are loving this section. Last week, it was people's favorite bit. It seemed about see, I got the most messages about it anyway. And it was just me going off on the reviews because I was... a uh, I was so annoyed and I was so stricken with the China virus, whereas this week I'd feel a lot better. Um, and I'm just trying to find – so, so I, think my, I think my message got through anyway, Toby, about let, don't criticize it in any way. Um, someone says, a flawless podcast. This podcast is perfect in every way. Everything about it is terrific. The proportion of topics, the tone, the balance between Toby and Nick, literally nothing could be improved. I do not have a single qualification, quibble, or caveat. An unqualified triumph week after week. <laughs> that's from Eric Jones, 79. So that is the kind of review that we want. Um, and I'm trying to find, this. there's so many great ones. Did I read that one? I think I did. Um, yes, yeah, I definitely read that one. Okay, uh, that's that one. No caveats, it's great. Another review on that sort of uh, tone. There is nothing I enjoy more after a stressful day dealing with my fellow human beings and settling down on the sofa in my most comfortable pants cracking open a lager enjoying the intelligent conversation in this podcast that's not to suggest that i feel everybody should only listen to this podcast in their wide fronts. that's just the way i enjoy rocking it great work guys Sane conversation in an insane world keep up the good work what was that one i sent to you uh someone else say my favorite podcast uh someone here says i found this podcast around three months ago and look forward to it every week i in turn i also listen to nick's podcast oh good I did try London calling, but James has truly disappeared down a rabbit hole. I truly hope he's okay. Back to the weekly skeptic. Love the conversations. Find myself agreeing passionately with Nick. And then Toby's opinion is always balanced. And I find myself feeling a little disappointed that I then agree with Toby. More balance view. Keep up the good work, gents. Power to the non-woke people. And there were just loads like this. I almost have time, don't have time for them all. This one says, love this part. Of course, Toby's is a bit of a cut. Sorry, Toby. But he's still a decent chap and a good foil for Nick's more rabbit-holed persona. Nick is bloody hilarious, but needs to stay away from happy clappy churches and look into the Orthodox Church, the original, uh, only truly based church. God bless. I think that was, and um, this one that was you get an Calvin inco- Robinson. <laughs> you get an incredible review here, Toby. That also calls you autistic. Maybe I'll quickly read this one. One of the greatest, Toby on the spectrum, indefatigable with his logical sc- scythe. I don't want to get attacked a, a for my pronunciation. Best seen as a sceptical stickler taking a humanist mechanistic view of the world, Nick and his amusing insecurities hopping between Team Toby and Team James parts of the Venn diagram, ending up somewhere in the middle with his high openness, rebel tendencies, religious grounding, the serious guy who reads the news lightened up by Nick, the simply brilliant birdwatch, peak woke, and all too rare appearances of Dr. Peterson, all a recipe for one of the best podcasts out there. Huh, how about that? Good, yes, Nick will Nick, find something d- to moan about here, which gives me a wry smile.
1: Keep backing Tate, Nick. You're super. There you go. I think you do prefer these um, unqualified raves, um, but isn't some of the value of it taken away because you've actually asked for them, so you can't be sure they're completely sincere and people aren't swallowing their reservations? It's a bit like, you know, you'd know this if you if you'd ever been in a... Long long term relationship, but um, if, if 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 a woman says, when I say I love you, I expect you to say I love you back, and then to which the kind of midwitted man's standard response is, I love you, and she Well, it doesn't count now because I've asked you to say it, it doesn't count, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bit like that. Do these count? They don't count as much as they would if they were completely spontaneous and you hadn't actually said to people, I don't want to hear any qualifications.
0: I still like them, Toby, and I don't think your analogy holds. And by the way, that's much better than going out with a, a woman you can't love. Sometimes you find one who's too narcissistic and actually can't, isn't even capable of love. So I, I, I think that's not so bad. I mean, yes, I do take your point. I personally like the praise, even if I prompted it. I still think it's great. Um, <laughs> this one is even from a feminist who doesn't mind my tape stuff. Brilliant. This is my favorite podcast. This is M O one This is my favorite podcast. Can't wait for my weekly dose of brilliant intelligent analysis of topical issues with great humor. Peak Woke is fab. The Twitter reviews are fun. Nick's hilarious oversensitivity to listeners' reviews. His football mates, does he ever tell them his views? His hypochondria, and despite being a feminist, I find his idolizing of Andrew Tate kind of sweet, weirdly. Maybe it's tongue-in-cheek, she added, hopefully. He's like an adorable <laughs> bouncy puppy next to Toby's more measured considered wisdom. Love it all. Keep going. You guys are great. From a free speech union fan. I've never been described as an adorable bouncy puppy, Toby. That is amazing. Because most people think of that's me a as new one. probably yeah. quite sort of melancholic, I think. And uh, I yeah, like a depressed pit bull. That's probably enough of the reviews, isn't it? Thank you for all your brilliant reviews, totally unprompted by me in every way. Um, and you can go and listen to my podcast with James Dan if you're so inclined. On the current thing, that's actually been our most downloaded on audio ever i know it was hotly anticipated and people have loved that one and uh, you know someone even said i was a great interviewer because i got a side of james i'd never seen before isn't that amazing toby all this all this time you didn't know the person that was right there in front of you because you were just <laughs> you're too obsessed yeah, with your own I, agenda yeah
1: yeah yeah well um no i, I look forward <laughs> to listening to it I, I, I discover things about james that I, i've never known before
0: yeah and um and you can buy me a coffee if you're so inclined. Uh, Buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon helps me keep going in this brutal culture war. Oh, and I just want to quickly thank Sam, the taxi driver, who said he was a listener last night. In my taxi, Toby, the podcast is growing all the time. My taxi driver was a fan of the podcast. And knowingly, he waited till Josh was out of the car to say it. So Josh didn't get to see the extent of my fame, but he did say he listened. And that was very encouraging. And the, the taxi drivers are salt of the earth people who listen to this podcast. And uh, he did say the only thing is it's a little bit long and uh, I've again made it massively long again. So we need yeah. to cut it down.
1: It. We'll try we'll try and cut it down to an hour and ten minutes next time. Um I should say that we're not gonna go to Will um this week because Will's on holiday. Um, but um so that means that I'm doing a lot more work on the Daily Skeptic alongside our associate editor, Richard Eldred. So do check out the Daily Skeptic. Um we're publishing six, seven, Eight pieces a day, all highly topical, all riveting stuff. So that's the daily org. Please do check it out. And if you like what you see, please do donate. If you donate just £5 a month, you can become a commentator below the line. Very lively conversation going on down there. We rarely censor anything. Um, so, uh, yeah, please do support the mothership, The Daily Skeptic, if you get a chance.
0: All right. Absolutely. So I think that's pretty much everything. Sorry it was a bit long again, but then again, as I've said, it's like free caviar. Is that really a legitimate complaint? And I guess we'll see you again next week. But until then, stay sceptical. Stay sceptical.